Pride podcast on Celtics blog. I am Mike Minkoff. With me, as always, Josh Motenko. What's up? How's it going, Josh? Our dear friend or uh, Josh's dear twin brother, Adam Motenko, uh, is out with health and safety uh, protocols once again, uh, wishing him a speedy uh, recovery. But Josh, uh, since we last spoke, the Celtics have fallen to the Warriors in six games. Uh, uh, first time NBA Finals run for literally every player on the Celtics team. We're going to talk about some reactions to that, uh, reflect on how we feel about the team, what we're hearing, the scuttlebutt, as it were, uh, amongst other Celtics fans we've talked to. Um you know, what could have been, we'll, we'll ponder some big what if questions about the season that we had. Um, and then we'll look ahead uh, on what's to come with this off season and, and talk about our initial thinking on how the Celtics can try to close the gap and, and get over that last little hump uh, to, to get banner 18. So Josh, how are you feeling? The Celtics season the 21-22 roller coaster of a year is over how do you feel yeah this time of year i think every single team is exhausted every single coaching staff is exhausted every single ticket sales department is exhausted people are just exhausted at this time of year at the end of the season and i feel like that's especially true with the season that we had um i mean would we have 110 games total something like that right that sounds right. Just, it was it was a ridiculous yeah. number, yeah. I'm just exhausted. I'm I'm uh I'm it was like hard to even get ready for this podcast. I'm like, can we just take a couple weeks off of everything, right? Like um so Yeah, well, the fact know, that the fact that the, the weather is getting nice and like we all want to go play outside now, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> it all the much, yes. all that much more harder. Um Yeah. We all but, need time to rejuvenate ourselves. You know, you know who I think is probably the most exhausted, though, Josh? Who? Jason Tatum, who yeah. played more minutes than I think anybody ever at his age in an NBA season um, on the heels of, of uh, the, the Olympics uh, and the gold medal run right. that that team had. Um, yep. he was tweeted. So we're recording this on Tuesday evening. Uh, we're, we're going to be dropping it on Thursday morning. Uh, so you'll be listening to this on Thursday. Uh, but we're assuming no, the Celtics are not swinging for the fences and getting the number one pick, uh, with a big trade coming out Wednesday. So we feel pretty safe, but there was a tweet earlier on Tuesday. Uh, I think Taylor snow show, and, and probably just capturing, Tatum's Instagram. He's already he, he him and Deuce are somewhere it looks like in the Caribbean or whatever uh, on a boat <laughs> on like one of those paddle boats in the ocean, uh, living their best life and and uh, good on them because uh, that boy that 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 young man I should say Jason Tatum. Um, oh, I thought you, you were know, talking about Deuce. Uh, well, Deuce gave it his his all as well. But Tatum, both Tatums, big and small, gave it their all this season, and um, you saw, did I'm you glad see he's getting yawning? some rest and recovery. Uh, which which Deuce of the thousands the stands, of times? Yeah, Deuce has yawned many times yeah. in the stands. Yeah, we are all exhausted. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's evidence right there. You know, it's it's like I'm I'm ready to talk about the draft. I'm ready to think about off season moves and stuff. But like. I'm like, no, dude, I need a break. Any, any Josh, we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're we're going to spend barely any times on the finals. Um, 
any any kind of single reaction you have about the the Celtics, you know, this the, this team's trips to the finals and and losing in six games yeah. to the Warriors. Yeah, we we just lost in the finals. That's like the end of all of it. Like that's when we made it to. You know, compared to the season, the way the season started, I'm just I'm shocked and still surprised and just kind of uh, giddy and happy that we turned the season around the way that we did and made it as far as we did and feel, you know, like there's so many things, at least that I've seen negative things on Twitter. Most of the friends that I have who are Celtics fans are frustrated and I'm kind of looking at them like, what? Like, did you watch the same thing that I watched? Like, yeah, we can talk trash about Jalen Brown's dribbling or all the difficulties we had giving up leads, whatever we might think it was. But like overall, like how can we not be ecstatic about how things ended? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, you, 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 uh, what, a, what a segue, Josh, because the, the question I had for you next was whether the season was a success, given that you already oh. gave some of your answer. I'll, I'll hit on that a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you think? But yeah, I mean, how could it be considered anything other? Nobody was saying the Celtics were going to be in the finals before the season started. I picked the Celtics to come out of, to come to be fourth in the East preseason on this podcast. You and Adam both picked them sixth. And for yeah. the first half of the season, we all looked dumb. <laughs> like, um, and yeah. certainly even, you know, while I try to stay relatively optimistic, um, I was like, they might be able to get up to fourth. Never in my wildest dreams that I think they were going to get second. And I, I certainly wasn't expecting a finals run in January or, you know, in, in mid or late Mike, December. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember when I was looking up Tankathon and, and I was like, we, we started to turn the season around in January, like January, like eighth or I so. Mean, I was like, t- I was like, I think we gosh. can still get a top, a top four or six pick if, we, if things continue. You know, I was like upset that we had started to turn things around because I didn't think it was real. I mean, yet. Josh, I hate to do you like this, but I'm going to remind the listeners once again that you were ready to trade Tatum for uh, Evan Mobley <laughs> sometime around no, I, early I January. Was... <laughs> Oh, I would still consider trading uh, Tatum for <laughs> probably most of the list that I had on there. Uh, but that doesn't mean I would have done it. I never said I want to trade Tatum for these guys. I would say these are the guys I would consider. I trading don't know. For. We might have to. We might. Have and to when everybody was talking that. about trading, <laughs> when everyone was talking about trading Jalen Brown, I said, "Hold on, we have the option of trading this other guy too. Just want to make bring all that right. up." But I think I think we're all in agreement, right? Focusing on trading either of them is the wrong course of action right now. Of course. Um, and I was really happy, you know, going back to the question of what the season is success. Brad Stevens had, you know, a pre- his first press conference since the season ended earlier on Tuesday. In that press conference, he specifically highlighted how for what Tatum and Brown have accomplished as far as their level of achievement leading a team to the NBA finals and the the level that they performed at at their ages puts them in as Steven said in quote unquote rarefied air which is exactly right I mean players don't do have this level of success at this age very often um after the season ended I was like I tried to think through who are the active players in the NBA you know that that have led their team to the NBA finals like as a clear best player at age 24 Tatum's age or younger can you think of the list it's not very long active players active players Kyrie 
as a no, Kyrie was never the best player on a finals team. As the best player. Well, when he uh, as the best. Uh No, I don't have LeBron and KD. That's it. LeBron yeah. did it. He had that early Cavs run to the finals where they got trounced by the Spurs in five games. Um that he was 22. And then the OKC run to the finals against the Heat, KD was 23. Right. And then Tatum is and 24. And you go back... So that's it. That's he, the list. I just want... For anyone feeling disappointed yeah. about the team, I just want them to understand how unusual the level of success Jason Tatum has already had in his career is. I mean, even if you look at, like, the top 10 players of all time or, or the top 20 players of all time, like, if you look at Jordan and Pippen didn't do it until they were older. No, they are like, uh, mid to late 20s. No, late 20s. Like, Jordan was 28. His first finals, right? Win. Bird and Magic, you know, they kind of did it right away. But Bird got it earlier into yeah. the league. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at like Shaq; he had to wait a while. He got he, he got there up. young. He got there young. Yeah, but lost. Like when players get there young, they lose. Exactly. <laughs> like when all time great players get there young, they lose. So, yeah, exactly. It's. Um, Anyway, I think this season was a resounding success, and uh, I'm I'm equally quizzical why why there's anyone that would come away from the season like feeling down about the team. I can understand being disappointed we didn't win, but not down on the team. Um, well, what but, about the Celtics fans that the Celtics fans that you know are they, are most of them excited like you are? Or are they are they saying things like one of my friends who said, "I don't think I have the emotional maturity to watch this team." You know, just like no, I don't think you do either. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, I think there's generally positive sentiments. You know, I think there were elements of the the way we went out against the Warriors that left some bad taste. You know, disappointment in in the team having kind of the resolve to play through you know tough calls by the the officiating or turnovers, etc. Like that's not a fun way to watch your favorite team lose, right? Sloppy turnovers right. and uh, complaining about officiating. But I think for the most part, there's there's a recognition and perspective that this is just the beginning or has the potential and should be just the beginning of a, a multi-year run at the highest level of success um, versus right. kind of a closing a closing chapter or anything like that. So, and so, the, and so like when, when one of my friends is like, it's just so frustrating, you know, watching them give up these leads over and over again. It's just so frustrating, you know, and I'm like, is this, is this a Boston thing? Like we're just so used to the Pats winning everything and, you know, the Red Sox, like we're just so used to it that, that this is just a real, like doesn't compare to any of the other good teams that we've had in the last 20 years. Like what am I missing here? I, I have no idea. Do you think idea. it's a Boston I mean, thing? You know, I, th- there, I felt there was a very specific Boston, there was a specific like psyche of Boston fans up until up through 2003. Like the Pats had won the 2001 World uh, Super Bowl. Right. And then, uh, but that didn't like change the psyche. And then in 2003, the Pats were great again, uh, that 0304 year. But the, the, Red Sox, and maybe this was just my personal evolution, right? The Red Sox lost that heartbreaking ALCS to the Yankees. And that was just like a continuation of the the Boston psyche around sports fandom. And then in 2004, when the Red Sox won uh, the World Series and like 
you know, everything changed. Came back from down 3-0 to the Yankees. Um, everything changed. And and then we've had this insane run of success as Boston sports teams. So I feel like the psyche of Boston sports fans has changed at least to a degree. But you might be onto something. There might be something still lingering there. Generations of of embedded DNA of sports fandom where it's just ready to to latch on to these these negative things. And you know, certainly your your typical talk radio in Boston doesn't do any favors to that mindset. Um, in fact, it it simply preys on it. But let's. Well, I was going to say let's be positive, but actually our next <laughs> we're going to transition <laughs> we're going to transition instead to a world of hypotheticals where we're going to think about uh what what almost was, what could have been um but we're we're really going to think about it as a way to evaluate the season and and some of the choices or or ways uh the the games played out, you know, evaluate that and and also as our our last kind of discussion point in, in this pod is going to be looking ahead to the draft and free agency and trades and, and use this, these kind of what ifs uh, to think about, you know, what should we be doing? So Josh, we're going to hit on five what ifs uh, and a, maybe a bonus sixth one. If, if, if we feel so inclined, uh, what are your top, what's your top what if of the season? Where do you want to start? Yeah. Um, so my dad had had the my top what if of the of the season. He, you know, Papa Motenko. He said, you know, had they closed out some of the earlier rounds, like the Miami Heat series, had they closed that series out earlier, they would have had a lot more rest. And you know, we all saw how gassed everybody was in the finals, including the other team. So I, I thought that was a really good point. And you know, if you look back at how we won the Miami series. In seven, we won the Milwaukee series in seven. And obviously in Milwaukee, we were down and had to win the last two. Um, so I think this is more a, a, an issue for the Miami series, especially since it was right before the Golden State series. Um, Golden State had more rest and they didn't come out in game one ready to go. So, you know, maybe that uh, is, is evidence against what I'm saying. But had we not lost on May 27th to Miami, and had closed it out a game early. I I think just that amount of time would have been a, a big deal. And so that's uh, my what if. So I'm going to say it doesn't change a thing. And I mean, it's it's a little bit of circular logic that I'm about to present. So I acknowledge that up nice. front. But, nice. but hear me out. <laughs> so, I mean, the reason why we struggled to close out those earlier rounds ultimately boiled down to our ability to be consistent in offensive execution and and sound decisions with the ball right turnovers and 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 just having the ball popping forcing aggressive tough defenses which we faced in rounds two through the finals um right forcing them to you know get out of their set defensive uh priorities and and opening up kind of driving lanes or good shots or or whatever um so that that was kind of the recurring issue and that was a recurring issue even earlier on right in rounds two and three so it wasn't just a matter of freshness it was a matter of just the current players kind of skill set and maturity level at this point in their careers and the reality like compounding that is and and what 
what this kind of question about freshness doesn't properly account for, in my opinion, is the Warriors were a legit great defense and great team. Like they they did mm-hmm. they played at an exceptionally high level. And I've heard some podcasts kind of equate this a little bit to like the Miami Heat, uh, San Antonio Spurs series. I think Bill Simmons may have talked about this. I can't remember who, but um, and this was kind of like the, the that 2014 Spurs team, right? Where they just kind of figured out what they had to do. Like they, they solved the puzzle and the, the Warriors solved the puzzle against the Celtics. And I don't think it was a matter of freshness. I think it was a matter of, of um, skill and maturity of the players and elite defense. And, and they were the just objectively better team. Okay. So what, what did they do to solve the puzzle? How do you beat the Boston Celtics? Um, you play phenomenal defense. They were able to switch a fair bit. They were able to kind of shade defensively, but still close out. And that's a huge credit to guys like Draymond Green, who's an all-time defensive player. And he was able to kind of clog and show a body, but still get out and challenge shooters in the corners or, you know, just kind of be a menace all over the place. They were better, you know, they, they, they were a better rebounding team. Kavon Looney was a really good rebounder. Um, Wiggins uh, did a phenomenal job in one-on-one defense on uh, Jason Tatum for for especially in Game Six, but really throughout the series. Gary Payton uh, the second did phenomenal job in um, you know direct man on man on the ball defense on Jalen Brown and, and basically stripped him anytime Jalen tried to go you know penetrate to the hoop against Payton. I felt like that led to a strip and turnover, you know? So I think the Warriors had uh, a pretty unique mix of defenders. Like there's not a lot of teams that can put two guys one-on-one on on Tatum and, and Jason, and then have an all-time defensive anchor behind those guys being further disruptive, right? That's just all-time defensive skill. So that's how you solve the Celtics. That's hard to solve. And, and I think this actually leads to our, next what if because to me the way the celtics counter that was not at full health okay and so my what if even though it's possible that you and not me wrote this in our outline (laughs) is what if time lord was not injured josh yeah you could substitute marcus smart in there too no 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 to me it's specifically time lord Okay, so yeah, if Time Lord wasn't injured, could this all be different, right? Uh, I don't know. You want to hear my argument for why it, it maybe could have been? Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I do. Go ahead. Isn't that what we're doing here? That's what we're doing. No, I mean, the Warriors didn't have anyone with the ability to vertically challenge Time Lord if he was peak Time Lord. And... And what Time Lord could have potentially done is kept someone like Draymond a little bit more honest when he was kind of cheating and, and trying to prevent Tatum or uh, Jalen from getting where they wanted to go. Um, it wouldn't have necessarily made a difference. Like I had said before the series, if Time Lord was at 100%, I was going to pick the Celtics in six. If he wasn't, I would pick the Warriors in seven. 
the Warriors ended up winning in six. They were they were better relative to us than I thought before the series. Um, yeah. And again, I think Wiggins Wiggins defense was a huge part of that. Um, and and Payton made a big impact once he got healthy. But I do think what Time Lord does, and he did this throughout the regular season for us, is that you know once we got our full starting five, his explosive athleticism and as and threat as a lob as a lob threat, presence as lob threat, um, really simplifies the decision making and unclutters the lane for Jalen and Jason, which makes them seem like better playmakers, right? It just makes their lives yep. a lot easier. So when when he wasn't operating at, at 100%, the Warriors didn't fear him. Um, and that that prevented that space from opening up. But I think that Warriors also just happened to have uh, a couple of perimeter defenders that were truly you know, upper level in quality. Um, and so they would have caused us problems even with a healthy time Lord, but, but I do think it would have made a difference in the series. Well, I mean, shoot, you could look at it another way too. Like what if Chris Middleton hadn't been injured? You know, like that's maybe that's the big, what if for the Celtics, right? I think, I mean, it's a huge, what if do you think, do you think the bucks would have definitely beat the Celtics if Middleton was healthy? No. That's not a definite. I, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it wouldn't have even been close. But no, Yeah, I, uh, I agree I think, with you. I, I think it still would have been close. I think it would have been I – I, it would have changed the series, but I still think the Celtics could have won. Um, I, I still think they would have appropriately been maybe slight favorites, but, like, very slight, and it could have ended up a coin flip series. I, but I think it's possible they could have lost. But I, I, know, I mostly wanted to ask this question because – I agree. I've heard a lot of people say if Middleton was healthy, the Bucks definitely would have won just by virtue of Middleton is good. And without him, it was a seven game series. But I just think it changes matchups. It changes um, how how the teams play. And I think the Celtics could have won that series, even if Middleton was healthy. Middleton is another defender who can guard Brown or Tatum. I think that you were spot on with how you beat the Celtics and the Warriors showing that you need to uh, have the personnel to defend the big wings that we have, which they did, despite how they're vertically challenged against a, a lob threat like Rob Williams. But um, I think that the other key is is that you have to crash the offensive glass against the Celtics. We don't box out well. I mean, so certain Josh, guys do. what if what if we did a better job boxing out? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. I'm watching that final game, and I'm like. These box outs are really killing us. I'm going to rewatch this game afterwards and I'm going to track how many box outs we missed total, how many box outs were missed by Brown and certain guys who play a lot of minutes who I think are atrocious at boxing out. Um, and it's, it really matters when the guards are the one crashing the glass. When it's Gary Payton the second and Andrew Wiggins crashing the glass, your guards better have the right kind of rebounding instincts. And a lot of times at all levels, including the NBA, the guards aren't the one who have those instincts ingrained in them yet. It's the bigs who always are told to box out because, you know, their, their guy is the biggest offensive rebounding threat at most times, like Looney, right? But when Wiggins is getting 16 rebounds, 12 rebounds in, in finals games, 
I mean, that's just a backbreaker. Like you, you, the amount of threes that the Warriors hit off of offensive rebounds, you know, if you just cut that stat off and they're just getting transition threes and threes in the half court, maybe that's the difference between wins and losses against the Warriors. Yeah, but I think I think the Warriors deserve credit there on a couple of fronts. One, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, a guy like Kevon Looney is an exceptional rebounder. But I think even more so, like, the way the Warriors play offense makes it really hard. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard to defend the Warriors and then to close out the, you know, you're, you're running all possession chasing Steph Curry around four different screens on all different parts of the court. On you know you got one guy doing that you've got another guy tracking Clay who's making opportunistic cuts you have Draymond who's doing any sort of illegal screen and and chip block that he can get away with yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got you know Jordan Poole uh, you know doing his best Steph impersonation you know whatever you've got so all all defensive position uh, possession you're kind of running all over the place head on a swivel the shot goes up. You know, you you a lot of these guys who are being asked to block out. Like I remember, there was a possession. I think Robert Williams had to close out from under the basket out on a three point shooter. I can't remember if it was Clay or Poole, um, but he didn't box out, and whoever shot it ran right in and got the ball. But you know, yeah. it's it's these are tough box outs is my point, right? The the Warriors are no, putting a no, ton. No, 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 Oh, God, I'm really sorry. Boxing out, to, like a guy coming in and you not looking for him and not go, or looking for him and not moving towards him. Like, no, but it's, but it's, out it's not, it's not, not tough plays. No, 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 but it's like, instant. it's, it's literally like Robert Williams is landing and the guy is already starting to move to chase his shot. Like, that's a tough bot. Like, he could have gotten there. It, it was not impossible. But this is not this is not like Robert Williams is just standing there twiddling his thumbs and the guy runs past him. Like those okay, those well, are different I've... scenarios. I I agree. That's not that doesn't forgive it. But I do. I just I mostly want to highlight the Warriors force you to be like on at a level most teams don't like at a at an extra level relative to other teams. Yeah. that's all uh, I want to highlight. Of, I'm not well, saying that excuses of... it, but I'm it, yeah. if it it is. This isn't the easiest boxing out in the world. It doesn't mean you don't have to execute it. You do have to execute it. But it the Warriors put a ton of pressure on teams. Yeah, in terms of movement, in terms, in terms of, of movement athletes, and stretching like the that. defense yeah. and putting the defenders yep. places they don't want to be. Yeah, and during my coaching career at the junior college level, at least, I was known as someone who would do whatever it took to get my team to box out, including things that aren't included in the book, like – don't call me Coach Josh anymore. Call me Coach Boxout for the next two weeks. You're calling me Coach Boxout. So like that's that's how crazy I am with this type of statistic. Um, and and we would track missed boxouts in games to try to show players how important it was. We had 48 missed boxouts in this game. And look at the rebounding totals, right? Because we're keeping those stats every game. So yeah, it's, to me that's just really important. Um, how about this one? At the beginning of game six, I really liked the broadcasting edit that they had where um, I think it was Lisa Salters. Uh, she came in saying that Coach Ime Udoka showed the Celtics plays, positive plays from both game sevens against Milwaukee 
and against Miami to show that they've had their backs against the walls and, you know, risen to the occasion um, and, and, and won those important games, those deciding games. And here we are in a game six against the Warriors. We lost two in a row, backs against the wall. How are we going to respond? Like, look, you've done it before. Here are all the positive clips. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, they've lost two in a row. You need to you know, get them positive again. That's good job, Udoka. Like, this is the way to go, right? And then we, and then we lose the game pretty badly. And then I'm thinking to myself, what if Coach Udoka had just showed them all the bad plays? You know, like, as a I don't, coach, you think, like, what if I had prepared them different? You know, you're always thinking that as a coach. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think the Warriors had just kind of solved the Celtics. They, they, they had, they had solved the equipment. I don't think this was a, a coaching issue. You know, I think Udoka, uh, you can quibble with some of the choices. Um, Udoka tried to kind of put the bench in a position to be impactful in game six, and they did not reward his trust. Uh, they were terrible very, you know, very early on, on smart got in foul trouble and went to the bench and the team just imploded. Um, but I think that's just, again, I, I think there's been way, there were a number of self-inflicted issues for the Celtics, but I think there's been too much made of the Celtics making bad turnovers and not enough credit given to the Warriors for how great they played. So I don't, I don't look at it as much, certainly not of, as a coaching issue or, uh, a failure by Udoka for showing good clips instead of bad clips. I think the Celtics were understandably pretty down and out um, emotionally after losing two in a row. And he was trying to get their heads right. And I don't think showing a bunch of bad clips was going to uh, be the right tonic for that. <laughs> All, All right, right we Josh, got we got, we, no, ifs, we got right? one more. You get, we, we one got more. one more. So All right. I'll, I'll, we, we got two on, on the page. I'll kind of tie them together. Yeah. All right. Go. So at, in the last, Last offseason started with a bang for the Celtics. Our our longtime general manager, or whatever his role was, Danny Ainge, uh, steps out. Our head coach steps into Ainge's role. Um, and if there was one thing that Ainge became notorious for over his last few seasons as a head honcho for the Celtics, it was a complete unwillingness to let go of his prized first round picks. Um, instead he hoarded them so that we had way more picks than we needed or could, or could productively use over the course of a few seasons. So we got gems like guys like Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford who, you know, had promise and, and Neesmith may still have promise, but were deep buried behind the two best players on our team. <laughs> and so had, we're not in an optimal development situation. And Stevens has shown, showed very quickly a willingness to move on from those first round draft picks, much to your chagrin at times, Josh. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, famously Stevens traded Kemba Walker and the 16th pick in last year's draft for Al Horford. That pick of course became Alpern Sengun. Uh, in the middle of the season, he traded our first round pick in the upcoming draft. Adam's most prized possession, the pick swap in 2028, top one protected. Uh, and Romeo Langford for, God forbid, uh, for Derek White. So, Josh, what if 
Brad Stevens had not made those moves for Al Horford and Derek White. Yeah, I mean, things would be totally different if we had a bunch of bench guys all vying for playing time, um, some of whom were veterans like Schroeder and Richardson. Like, that's a that's a big deal, not, you know, like the, those moves to get White and Horford specifically and lesser so Tice, although he played a, a big role earlier in the playoffs. Um, those were huge. And, you know, just from a roster management perspective and the expectations that the players had on the team, like now all of a sudden we had a core that was ready to roll into the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, you could look at it like, what if we didn't make those trades for Horford and White, which, you know, you and I, Mike, we may have been a few of the only ones who really liked the Derek White piece and thought that he was the perfect connector for this team. Um, and, yeah, he was a little inconsistent. And I think he's going to be better next year. But that was... Yeah, I do too. I, I, th- I think we were on with that one. Um, so we can, yeah, toot our own horns here on the pod. But to me, it's like, what if Danny Ainge had never kind of catalyzed all of the, the the movement forward of the franchise by stepping away? Had he not stepped away at that time, I mean, if you look back, we had not only people saying trade Tatum or Brown or break them up, but we had also people saying, you know, what if that one of them wants to leave and demands a trade, you know, because Boston is whatever, not, not the ideal place for whatever reason. Um, going back to the stuff with Isaiah Thomas and all that had to do with Danny Ainge and the perception of the city of Boston and Danny Ainge stepped away. I think at the perfect time, gay, you know, groomed his predecessor and then hired, I think the perfect coach for this team, both from like a temperament perspective and, you know, from what the players are looking for, not just on the Celtics, but around the league. Well, Ainge, that... Ainge didn't hire that guy. Stevens. No, but he guy. set everything in motion. He set everything in mm. motion to, to, to move the franchise forward by leaving at the right time. He, he did. He, he, he left. He arguably could have left one or two years earlier, <laughs> but based on the, some of the moves he did or didn't make, um, but yeah, no, it, I mean, it was, it was key for the organization. I agree. And it, it put Stevens in a position that was better suited for him at that point in, in his career. Um, and certainly Ime has, has, uh, I think more than resoundingly answered the critics who were unreasonably vocal way too early. Um, that never made any sense to me, but I'm glad Ime certainly has the last laugh, uh, on that front. Okay, so we've we've covered our hypotheticals. We've looked behind us. Let's look ahead, Josh. You know the the off season is upon us. We have the draft uh, that'll be later tonight. Uh, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, we have free agency just down the road and all the ever looming possibility of trades. Where do you want to start between those three? Uh, I want to start with the draft. We got pick number fifty three. Uh, Mike, let's set it up like this. I'm in Times Square. All right. I've opened up my jacket. I got watches. I got iPhones. I got bigs, wings, guards. Which which position do you want to pick number 53? I got some names for you. Josh, um, do you do you have any I don't actually care about pick number 53s <laughs> in that jacket of yours? Um, Josh, in, <laughs> oh, that let, let me – that's where I – so I, let me <laughs> – even when we have if we have anything outside like the top seven i'm like generally checked out my draft analysis when we picked neesmith was i looked at like three mock drafts 
read the descriptions of some of the guys uh, and was basically like, I think I want Sadiq Bay because he sounds big and shoots threes and like big and versatile and, right. and, and shoots threes. I was right. So I should be re- locked in here. Uh, and I, I was like, people seemed happy about Neesmith. Uh, I was like, yeah, he's a shooter. He was, uh, he also seemed when I read about him, like he was going to be bigger than he actually looks on the court, but he's also more athletic than I realized he was going to be. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm not, uh, let, I don't do the deep dive you do on the draft, Josh. So for pick 53, okay. give me, give me a, um, a, a, a project doughy center from uh <laughs> from doughy center. center yeah that's that's what i want to pick 53 yeah. which if you don't know is what kendrick perkins was when we got him 18 years old out of Beaumont, I, I more Texas. had a guy like nick nicola Jokic in mind <laughs> yeah real okay yeah but if you want someone real doughy i got someone for you now um no there's there's some good bigs out there like every year whether you're picking it pick 15 and you're looking at uh, the best shooter in the draft between Sadiq Bay, Aaron Neesmith and Desmond Bain. And we just happened to pick the, you know, the wrong guy when two of the options could have been right. Um, yeah, there's, there's options. And so even at pick 53, in my opinion, there's options of players who either could slip or will just flat out be there that, that I personally like. Okay. So um out of Arkansas, there's a center that plays a lot like Al Horford. He's a little undersized, 6'10", not the most athletic, but just does so many things intangible-wise and is a, a team leader and takes tons of charges, really good rebounder and a really good passer. His name is Jalen Williams. There's two Jalen Williams in the draft this year. This is J-A-Y-L-I-N. Um, there's also a guy, Michael Foster, who I think is going to be picked in the second round, G League. 6'9", 235, kind of an old school big man with some face-up game. And I think that his game is kind of perfect for the NBA these days, whether he's going to learn you know, our defensive system and be able to pick up any PT is, is the issue with any big man, I think. Um, and then Orlando Robinson, seven-footer who can shoot out of Fresno State, my old alma mater where I coached. Um, those three guys are, are guys that I would look at for the Celtics. I pick 35. One of them could be available. But Mike, there's some wings too. Um, do you want so so? Let me let me put All it right, to you like uh, this. Just, okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, do you want the guy who's like really stable, six eight, like you know you can kind of count on him, but he's not going to do too much to stand out? Or I feel like we have want... Malik Fitz already. Isn't that Malik Fitz? No, 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 no. This this guy would be better than Malik Fitz. I okay. think whoever we, uh, yeah, any, all these players I have at fifty three at the wing would be better than him. So that so that's option number one. Door number one is like super stable, not going to stand out too much. Six eight wing. Then we got six nine shooter, not that athletic, but like can can do a lot of guard things at six nine at the wing and can defend a little bit and shoot threes. Um, so and then lastly, we yeah. have six seven long. Uh, good defender can really handle it and like one of the best drivers in the whole and finishers in the whole draft, but can't shoot at all. And is a little bit older, so so he's kind of tough, but may not. Can develop I can I pick option number four? And this is actually what I want. Yeah. This is not. This is yeah, not nice. totally tongue in cheek. I mean, I would like a a intriguing, athletic, like eighteen year old European draft and stash. 
guy who's like six six to six nine with shooting with with shooting and pat playmaking capability. And I would just want a guy that's like really really raw um, because yeah, if you if you look, but but someone that we wouldn't come close to our roster this year, like. Yeah, well, I mean, in my opinion, that would be Dalen Terry um, from Arizona. In. I don't know I'm if all he's going to make I'm it. I'm all in. Yeah, Dalen Terry. Yeah, all in. Sign, sign me up. <laughs> um, there's a guy, there's a 6'10 European. He's not European. Dalen Terry's not European. But there's, oh, there is a 6'10 European um, guy who reminds me of Tony Kukoc. His name is Nikola Jovic, not Jokic. Oh, but that but guy's going to go, like, top 20. He's going to go, yeah. He, he'll go he's 15, like, 16. He's like a real prospect. No, I want, I want the experimental prospect. <laughs> Well, Caleb Houston, I mean, maybe Caleb Houston fits into that. He's from Germany. He was kind of the team leader of the German under-19 national team, went to Michigan and had a terrible season under Juwan Howard at Michigan in his one year. And he's the kind of, he was the first option. He was door number one. What is the, uh, what is that like 7-6 guy? Was it like Texas A&M, Texas Tech? I can't remember. Uh, seven. He's he's only seven four. Um, you're thinking of the guy at Purdue who played with Jaden. Purdue, Jayden, yes. Ivy, Jaden yes. Ivy. Um, yeah, he's he's Canadian. <laughs> I know you're looking for a European guy, but he's. I don't think he's really going to have much of a role. He's just too slow. Um, but of the wings, dude, I'm telling you, there's this dude, Darian Sebrin. He is he's the best driver that, in the entire draft. Um, really good finisher. I, he, I, I just, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of a reprieve from the Danny Ainge special athletic driver who can't shoot a lick like <laughs> but can guard he can defend he can handle it he can pass a little bit and he rebounds it like every, at a really high rate what what this team need i mean i, I i'm going to i'm going to transition us uh beyond the draft here <laughs> moving on <laughs> cuz what the, what this team really needs in my opinion and and i want to hear what you think um but we i mean we need like the optimized version of Aaron Neesmith. Ideally maybe 2 inches taller and six, you know 30 pounds heavier, but we need a a guy who can have like a gravity type effect on our offense. Um like a Joe Harris, like JJ Redick in his heyday, like Duncan Robinson and Max Struess and yes, we let him go, but and can also be stout enough defensively not to get played off the floor like Max Struess, who we let go. Um, <laughs> um, and there, it's possible Aaron Neesmith could become that, but, you know, he hasn't shown nearly enough for us to, to feel definitively like that's going to happen. Um, right. So, and, you know, I, I don't think, and I don't think you believe that we're going to get a guy that's going to come in at pick 53 and contribute right away in that capacity, even if he has some of those skills. Um, right. He, whoever we get at pick 53 is highly unlikely to be a guy that we would be playing in playoff rotations anytime in the next one to three years, like just based on probability. Um, so you know uh, that that's kind of the type of player that I think we need. Um, like well, for this current hoping... roster, do you do you th- do you agree with that as like our primary need, or do you think our primary need somewhere else? No, I mean I, I think that we need another guard. Um, I think if we can get an athletic six two, six three, six four guard, um, 
or even, I mean, shoot, if they're six five, six six, and they're more of like a shooting guard that can play point guard, I think another combo spot, another ball handler is important for us just kind of for the future. I've always said also that when you have Jason Tatum playing a lot of four, small ball four, uh, along next to a small ball five, like if we only have one big in the lineup and Tatum has to be the four and, the, and like another main rebounder or shot blocker or defender down low, that that's an issue. And so I'm looking for who we can bring in to replace Horford when he's gone or to kind of supplement things um, and be another player who's bigger than Tatum so not necessarily Grant Williams, um, and, and can kind of move Tatum down to the three, which would then in turn yep. move Jalen Brown down to the two, and yep. we have our primary ball hand. Yeah, and that was that um, was something that Stevens hit on in the press conference, talking about how being so big and athletic across the board is something that makes Boston uh, a u- unique across the league and and a trait that they want to preserve. Right. So I think I think the front office is aligned with that vision. They're probably likewise concerned about what life after Horford looks like, though there there was something going on Twitter earlier on Tuesday uh, suggesting the Celtics are looking to extend Horford one one to two years on a team friendly deal, which I think would be great Mm -hmm. personally. Um, But that's what he should have taken the first time around as a team. Well, should he have though? Should should he have though? Because he got all his money now. (laughs) He got all his money and he got to the finals. So of all the guys who are the did he do it wrong or did he do it right? (laughs) I think for himself he got a lot of extra money, and you can't fault a guy for doing that. But of all the players in the NBA these days, who I I would have guessed would have been open to taking a team-friendly deal to, in order to win games. Uh, I think Al Horford is the ideal person, and, and he finally shows now he's ready to do that. He was not ready to do that three, four years ago. Um, when, But shoot, I mean, how about that as a what-if? What if Al Horford had taken the deal with the Celtics and stayed with yeah, us? Yeah, there was a lot of craziness. Years. I mean, Kyrie had yeah. a jump ship. Yeah, there's a whole lot going on there. So everything happens for a reason. Let's Let's go with that. But, okay, looking ahead to the the Celtics situation. So in that in that same press conference by Brad Stevens, um, he he indicated that they the front office has the okay to do what they have to do as far as spending and spending into the tax. Um, now the what that ends up uh, looking like, there there's a great uh, potential kind of spread on on what that could be. Right now I, I think I saw the the Celtics are just based on their current salaries and obligations are projected to be about $12 million into the tax, but they have like 5,000 traded player exceptions. In actuality, I think they have eight or nine. I'm looking at spot track right now. Um, Their biggest one, their biggest one is a $17.1 million one from the Evan Fournier trade, which expires on July 18th. Uh, they've right, got a each nine, one of these PPEs only lasts one year. Yeah, they've got a, a nine point seven million dollar one from the Tristan Thompson trade. Um, they've got a five point eight nine million dollar one, a six point nine million dollar one. So they've got all of these at their disposal, and what that allows them to do is it allows them to trade for a player um, with that makes no more than that salary of the exception without returning any salary back. 
Right, but so, they're not allowed to attach a traded player exception. They can't the combine. They can't, they can't combine. Exactly. Correct. They can't combine combine TPEs. They can't combine a TPE dollar amount with another player's salary. But but that means that like and that's and Mike, hold on. That's yeah. where you're gonna get some more accurate information from the Celtics Pride podcast than you would with like potential fake trades with any other NBA podcast you might be listening to these days. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, basically any player that makes no more than $17,142,857 could theoretically between now, well, not between now, but between, uh, or maybe now, yeah, you can, you can at least agree on the the terms of trades now. You you just can't, not if it involves signing players because free agency hasn't started, but could could theoretically be sent to the Celtics with like only draft compensation sent back in return. Um, it would be hard for us to do a sign and trade certainly at that level because uh, at a certain point we'd get over the hard tax apron. Um, but you know there are there are some interesting players out there that make uh, less than seventeen million dollars. I don't know. Have you scoured the uh, the the contract list yet, Josh? You have. Do you have any top targets? For our TPE? I don't know. I, ha- I haven't. I haven't even looked. You haven't looked, yeah. What, but I know you have. I've looked a little bit. I've looked a little bit. I mean, you know, he—he's actually not. He's a free agent now. I still, my heart still covets uh, Ricky Rubio. Always will. I think still, even after the injury. Even after the injury, um, I mean, he's a a great playmaker. He can create and make life easier for others. Um, and he's a great defensive guard. So I still think he'd be, you know, he's a better playmaker than Derek White. Um, I don't love the idea of adding him when we already have White. Uh, so I, I, he's not my first choice, um, but he, he made $17 million last year. I don't know what he's likely to make this year with coming off the injury. Uh, but if we could sign him into our, like, uh, taxpayer mid-level exception or something like that, I think that could be really interesting. Um, other players, you know, the reality is there's Malik Beasley, theoretically, but we'd have to give back more than just absorbing him into our, our TPE. Um, I like Tyus Jones a lot. He's a free agent. I doubt we can afford him. Uh, he's also very small. He's he's weaker defensively than some of the other options. Uh, I've seen chatter about Duncan Robinson. Um, I have mixed feelings there. I like what he does for us on offense. Uh, I think we he, he's the exact type of player I was describing a bit ago as, in terms of offensive gravity. Because I just think that would, if you looked at what happened to the Celtics defense, having to deal with all of the movement from Steph Curry, having a guy with like that type of gravitational pull, obviously nobody's Steph Curry, uh, but just opens so much up for other guys on the court. Tatum and Brown's life would be so much easier if there was a guy sprinting all over the court, distracting the defense. Um, but Duncan Robinson is not the stoutest defender, to say the least. So, um, I don't know. Those and are he comes those at are, a high price tag. Too, he comes so. at a high price tag, but if but we could absorb him into the TPE. I mean, uh, I've seen I've seen guys like um, Bobby Manning tweet. You know, there there's opportunity to come to then in the future potentially combine Duncan Robinson's salary and Derek White's salary and you get up near a max contract. 
you know, if you attach some picks or and some interesting young players to that, uh, you might be yeah. in the mix. And some, so you know, there's there's reasons to take a guy with making that much uh, beyond just. And, and it also, you know, it he's making something like 16 or 16.9 million. Duncan Robinson is so that that would help extend effectively the life of the TPE if you if you uh, if you made that trade, you you you'd get to extend basically um, another year forward having a TPE at around that value. So I don't know. Those are some of the early names, um, but there's no one Mike, obvious. That's a good list. There's no one obvious. One, one last guy that I saw earlier today that's intriguing, but I can't imagine we'd actually we'd actually uh, get because I I don't think his team would want to give him up. But Markel Fultz, in, in a perverse way, I actually think could be a nice kind of backup point guard for us. Playmaker, really good defensively. Is Again, he restricted or unrestricted? He uh, he's a he will be, I believe, a rest- no, no. He's he would be an unrestricted free agent. I think he signed us another deal, but he's not a free agent until twenty twenty four. So his oh. salary fits into our TPE, but I don't know what gotcha. we we'd have to give something up to get him, um, and I can't imagine what that would look like. But yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I pass on that one. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know that I trust him in in uh, playoff intensity. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so that's my early list. We'll have to do more research into that and see how the l- landscape evolves, especially after the draft and what I'm sure is going to be a, a crazy amount of trades. Anything else you're looking for this offseason, Josh? No, I'm just excited about the draft. This podcast airs on Thursday, draft day. So um, on the, the following podcast, look forward to our reactions to whoever the Celtics uh, selected. All right. Well. Just remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. Uh, you can follow me individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or Josh individually at Coach Matenko. Um, Adam is uh, not on Twitter, but he is hopefully still recovering and feeling better, especially after listening to this delightful podcast. Uh, if you are listening now, consider yourself a part of Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.